time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey there, I'm Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Might surprise you to be hearing from me, some smoke show Midwestern governor nobody heard about till a couple weeks ago. But governors are kind of having a moment right now. And while other govs get cool nicknames like Daddy Cuomo and Gavin Choke Me King Newsom. Trump refers to me as that woman from Michigan. But I'm not offended because I am proud to be from Michigan. And that woman is also what Trump calls his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I'm nursing all the bats because even though most frickin' governors are laying down restrictions because of the virus, mine are somehow too far. Now, You may have heard about the protesters that gathered in the streets of our capital for Ted Nugent cosplay last week. Look, people, it's live free or die, not live free and die. And Trump advisor Stephen Moore is comparing these protesters to Rosa Parks. Yeah, if Rosa Parks was fighting for her right to get hit by a bus. Sorry, that's a little bats talking. But... I support all Americans and Michiganders' freedom of speech. So if you got to protest, here are some tips on how to do it safely. Number one, stay home. I promise you can call me a bitch from the safety of your couch. It's called Twitter. So if you must head outside, maintain proper social distancing. That means six feet apart at all times. So if the tip of your AK-47 can touch the tip of your buddy's AK, back up. And please... Wear face masks, but not a joker mask, and, and not a clown mask, and abs- absolutely no masks that come with the hood. Now, like you, I have heard the rumors that I'm on the short list to be Joe Biden's vice president, the VP's VP, because if it's going to be a woman, it might as well be that woman. But my sole priority is my home state, because we're not out of the woods. We never will be. We live in Michigan. And to anyone that stands in the way of the health and safety of my constituents, 
I'll remind you, the Michigan is the mitten, right? And this, this is where I live. Oh, dang it, they're throwing dog crap at my door. Knock it off! I'll throw it back! I did it last time, too! You know I will! Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm, might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, yes he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and... Here's the silverware over here. Ah, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. (laughs) 
This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery.
Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hempel. Shadow buddy, buddy, 
Tom Sumner program celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff Snareplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, cold in protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Tom Sumner, Program.com. The Tom Sumner, Program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is uh, Associate Professor of Sociology at Mercy College and the author of a new book called Hustle and Gig, uh, Struggling and Surviving in the Sharing Economy. Her name is Alexandria Ravenel, and she joins me by phone. Welcome to the show, uh, Alexandria. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, do you have a nickname? Um, <laughs> I do, but only family and friends use it. Oh, okay. uh, I usually go by Alexandria. Okay. I, I don't mind using Alexandria, but, you know, if there's if there's a shorter one, I'll take it. Um, okay. But, uh, you can do but, Alex. I'll let that fly. Okay. Well, and, and if I feel the urge, I'll uh, take advantage of that. But... Um, Let's talk about this book really deals with this this phenomenon called the gig economy. And can we start by sort of defining what the gig economy is? Sure. So the gig economy is actually part of the larger sharing economy. And these are words that are very much uh, sort of made up. Uh, So the sharing economy includes everything from couch surfing, which was a free way to sleep on other people's couches, all the way to things like eBay and Craigslist. And then the gig economy is part of the sharing economy, but it's only for people making money. 
So the gig economy includes uh, app-enabled ways to supplement one's salary or uh, develop an income source. So it will focus on things like on-demand work, uh, Instacart, uh, doing Uber or Lyft driving, hosting on Airbnb, that type of thing. And this is an interesting subject for me because... I'm at an age where I remember people working 30 years in the same job, and but yet at the same time I was for a great amount of that time a professional musician and you know, hustling from gig to gig. So I, I have a different perspective on this. What are the ups and downs of a gig economy? Or, or working in the gig economy, let me put it that way. What are some of the pros and cons? Well, one of the pros, is, or at least it's marketed as a pro, is that workers can create their own schedule. So if you have other interests, you work when you want to work or when you feel that you need to make some money, and then you can spend your other time doing other things. That's the marketing, though. One of the downsides is that the work is not necessarily available when workers would prefer to be doing the work. So, for instance, you were a musician. You were probably playing a lot of nights and weekends. Well, if you wanted to supplement that with Uber driving, nights and weekends are going to be the most popular time to be doing Uber driving. Or if you want to be working on TaskRabbit, most popular time, again, is going to be weekends. So workers find that they're not actually able to have as much flexibility as they would have liked. Also, the work is very undependable. Work today does not necessarily mean work tomorrow. And so it's very difficult to have a stable income source. You probably saw the same thing when you were a musician. Well, one of the things that happened, and we used to joke about feast or famine, you know, we'd get offered three gigs on the same Saturday. You could only take one. Or even worse, when it got time to, you know, look at paying taxes, January and February were the slowest time of the year. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and the same thing happens in the gig economy. So workers might find that they're being uh, profiled on a website app, and they'll get a whole bunch of work within a short period of time. And because they can't accept it all, it will actually later reduce the likelihood of them getting additional work because it gets them flagged in the algorithm. And there's also the tax, uh, the tax component to it, so that workers are responsible for their Social Security taxes, their Medicaid, they pay self-employment taxes, and so they have to keep track of all of their expenses in order to try to drive down their tax burden at the end of the year. I keep hearing things from the White House, and uh, we're based, uh, this, this show is based in, uh, in Flint, Michigan, and from Lansing, Michigan, that, you know, the economy is improving and unemployment is at its lowest in, I don't know, 10 years. It varies from announcement to pronouncement. But I, every time I hear one of those stories or read one of those headlines, I, I think to myself, not in my neighborhood, is how does the, the sharing economy and, and more specifically the gig economy impact how we measure the success of the economy overall in other words are we showing these people that are as as working or underemployed how how do 
how does it affect how we view the economy at large? Ah, that is a great question. So there are two components to that. Um, one is, of course, that workers, um, although unemployment may be low, we still see that salaries are stagnating and workers are turning to the gig economy to supplement salaries that are stagnating. Or even if their income is going up, all the other expenses are also going up. Rent is going up. The price of groceries keeps going up. The price of childcare, the amount of money that people are spending on their student loans. Partnering with that, we know that when we have federal surveys, for instance, uh, research out of the Federal Reserve finds that about a quarter of workers are supplementing their incomes with gig work. So they might not be included in some surveys, like the contingent work survey, which only looks at work that was done as someone's main job and done within the last week. But we do see that this is contributing to the economy, partly because workers are desperate for additional money and an additional way to supplement their lifestyles. But are we seeing are we seeing numbers? Are we being fooled by the numbers a little bit in that um, we might be measuring half the the eligible work population working three jobs and calling that the lowest unemployment? There is probably also that aspect, too. Yes. So if somebody is asked if they are working and they are able to say, yes, they have Yeah, I'm working all the time. (laughs) Yes, they are working all the time. You know, it's funny that you mention that because it wasn't too long ago that we actually made fun of George W. Bush when he met a woman who was working multiple jobs. And he told her that that was great and uniquely American, and everyone ripped him apart. And about 15 years later, we are now applauding people for having side hustles. Oh, you know, you need to pay your student loans. Why don't you just drive for Uber in the free time? I mean, we actually see this focus on people working many more hours and taking on multiple jobs, which not that long ago we thought was really not ideal. Well, and and computer technology, which is at the heart of a lot of the work that people do these days, has gone from desktop to laptop to handheld. Right. So now it's possible for people to be working all the time. Literally all the time. They're at a restaurant with friends, and they get pinged and, and, you know, excuse me, I've got to take this. And, And they're actually doing work and and not necessarily nine to five. Right. And in the gig economy, this working sort of nonstop is actually marketed as part of sort of having your own business. I call it the entrepreneurial ethos. They market this as, well, if you want to succeed, you know, you're, you're your own boss, you get to pick your hours, you get to log in from anywhere. Isn't that fantastic? And yet we see this massive loss of leisure time and people able to spend time with their friends and family uninterrupted. And people are starting to find out why the boss was so mean. Right. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't so good being the boss sometimes. Um, but, but that is one of the things that, that is a bit of a benefit, and it has um, created a bit of an environment where people are tending 
more to do things that they, I don't want to say necessarily like to do, because I'm sure everybody, even if they love their job, have days that they say, boy, I wish I didn't have to work today. But there isn't this sense that, that people are stuck in a job that they don't like. Yes and no. Um, so you're right that workers are not stuck in the sense that a lot of this work is very temporary. And if one task doesn't go well or they decide they don't want to clean houses anymore, maybe they can go and assemble IKEA furniture or uh, create meals on demand through a chef service. But workers do end up stuck in the sense that once they accept work, they have to do it, and in many cases, the work changes, and they find themselves in these kind of questionable situations, and that's where they end up stuck. This becomes something where it takes you a couple of hours of interaction with a potential client and travel to get a gig in many cases, and then you show up to the gig, and if it's not what you thought it was going to be, maybe it's more dangerous than you thought, or there's some sexually uncomfortable situation going on, workers still feel like they're stuck and they have to do it because they've put in so much time investment previously. And and you talk about that a, a lot in the book because you um, interviewed, uh, what, 80 different people who work under these sorts of conditions and they shared stories about things that had happened. You mentioned uh, sexually uncomfortable situations. I actually know someone uh, who's who's fairly close to the radio show who was doing house cleaning and found themselves in uh, more than one awkward situation uh, and dangerous situations. Exactly. Yes. The risks that are associated with this work are really astounding. You know, walk, working in the gig economy means walking into the personal home of a stranger and a stranger who is essentially anonymous. And then they're working behind closed doors. So there are individuals who work through TaskRabbit, the personal assistance site, that find themselves hit on when they're cleaning someone's home. There are workers who find that they were hired to participate in a cleaning, and in reality, the client wants them using construction-grade chemicals, and they talk about how they have dust up their nose, and they're coughing, and their eyes are burning. And then you have other situations where workers, especially those for the now-defunct platform Kitchen Surfing, were invited to participate in threesomes with their clients, or they found themselves working swingers parties, and all of a sudden they're in this really uncomfortable situation, and there's really nowhere to turn. There's no HR office when you are a gig worker. And, and that's another thing that, that you talk about, Alexandria, the, um, uh, the number of benefits. And as I mentioned, I'm in Michigan, which was... was just huge uh, in the last century um, in in the labor movement in this country. Um, you know the the formation of the UAW and and its impact. And labor unions like to take credit for having created the middle class through things you know like retirement accounts and. Um, uh, 40-hour work weeks and, um, you know, weekends off, uh, uh, 
paid vacation, all, all of these benefits. And, and these things evolved over the last century. And then starting in the new millennium, they all just kind of fell away. Right. So the gig economy is very much a movement forward to the past. You know, the disruption that's going on is app-enabled, but it's nothing that's new. It's actually returning us to the situation that we had more than 100 years ago. You know, gig workers are not protected against injury on the job. They have no redress if they are injured. They're not protected against discrimination, sexual harassment. They don't receive paid sick time. They don't receive retirement contributions. There's no paid time off. I mean, these are really vulnerable workers who are outside of any type of social safety net. Most states, they don't get unemployment if they're deactivated, which is platform speak for getting suddenly fired. And so what ends up happening is that these workers, even though they're supposed to be at the height of modernity, actually have fewer protections than their great-grandparents did. With um, with the way things that are going, especially, and, I, and I'm thinking about technology and the um, to the to the degree that uh, technology and robotics are replacing people in manufacturing and in other things. Pretty soon, we're going to see a lot of truck drivers that don't have to drive trucks because they drive themselves. Um, is there? There's there's no returning to jobs that, that you do 40 hours a week and you get a paycheck and two weeks off a year and after 30 years you retire and you have some, you know, some benefits saved up. Those days are gone. What, what looms in the future and are there certain kinds of life choices that can protect uh, people? Like, like, for example, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the people who who just drop working all together and, and drop off the grid and grow their own food. And, you know, when you talk about going forward to go back, um, you know, becoming more agrarian is to some people a very hip way to get out of the rat race. Um, are there ways that you can put together a, a workload or fashion a life for yourself that provides you the things you need and and create some little semblance of safety? Yes. So, you know, one of the things I say about the gig economy is that it is actually serving a need, that workers do need to supplement their salaries because they're not getting enough. So what I tell people is if they are turning to the gig economy, it's best to see if you can find a platform that will pay you as a W-2 employee, that will actually classify you as an employee and will give you benefits and protections. And that's that's any size platform, 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the first part. I mean, is that any size platform, 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week? Yeah, so there are actually some platforms that are offering full-time jobs or at least stable employment classified as W-2 workers. So there's uh, one platform called Hello Alfred, which is a butler service. That doesn't quite explain the full thing. Um, They provide sort of... um, 
kind of like a temporary kind of mom type of situation. So someone who comes into your house and looks at your groceries and says, hey, you seem to be out of milk and you have lots of cereal. Let's make sure that we keep you stocked in, stocked in milk or let me run these errands for you, pick up dry cleaning, that type of thing. Um, and they will hire workers as W-2 workers and they'll do 20 hours up to 40 hours depending on what type of schedule workers are looking for. Um, there's also a service called MyClean, which is a home cleaning service that does the same type of thing. They actually seek workers to be full-time, and they provide full benefits. Uh, some of these services even require or contribute retirement contributions into a 401k for workers. So there is a way to work in the gig economy and still have some of these benefits and protections. The other thing that's uh, usually recommended for workers is to, of course, you know, pursue multiple forms of training and ensure that you're kind of ready for different types of situations. Leaving the grid is, um, I suppose, always an option for people, but it's not, I, I don't think we have to go quite that extreme. I was going to say, order. to some people, that would seem very extreme where they're there is a growing number of people to whom that is uh, the ultimate safety net. Yes, um, and as somebody who lives in New York City, I'm probably a little envious of them having that <laughs> option as a safety net. Um, I, I don't do well in the great outdoors like that. But Not, not really a green thumb, are you, Alexandria? No, not, not so much. <laughs> No, I had a garden once in my life. It didn't work well. Um, but, I mean, there are other things that workers can do. The other thing is, you know, the sharing economy actually began as a way for people to sort of barter services and barter supplies. If we go back to the early roots, things like Craigslist or couch surfing, it was a way for people to step out of the rat race and build this life where it wasn't just about consumption and working all the time. So there is an option there to sort of turn to more kind of cooperatives and platforms that are not just focused on money, but actually allowing people to kind of move forward without having the same type of uh, financial requirements or obligations. Are people that are working in the gig economy, are they by need or by desire consuming less? So that's an interesting question. Um, in some cases, so the gig economy um, is still about consumption in many cases. That's where it's different from the larger sharing economy. So workers are still, you know, you're still using a uh, car service, you're taking an Uber or a Lyft, or you're still um, purchase, you know, purchasing things, you're running errands for someone. Um, but we do see that because the workers are not paid very well, they're not maybe um, engaging in spending as much. So sometimes, sometimes workers are using the money to pay off debt or to build up a savings. In fact, most of the workers in the gig economy I classify into either the strugglers or the strivers. So the strivers are middle-class individuals who are looking to supplement their income or pay off debt. And then the strugglers are those individuals who are very much down on their luck. They're often long-term unemployed or undocumented. 
and they are turning to the gig economy in a moment of desperation. What kind of numbers are we talking about? And are they mostly are they mostly millennials, or are we seeing, um, you know, the the tail end of of boomers and 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 others that are becoming part of the gig economy? So, according to the Federal Reserve Board's survey of household economics and decision making, which is abbreviated as SHED, um, last released in May of 2018, uh, about 30% of millennial workers, young adults aged 18 to 29, were actually working in the gig economy. And in fact, gig work was actually one of the most common sources of non wage income. Um, that said, in terms of the larger working population, about a quarter of workers earn money through occasional work or gig work at some point. At the same time, it's also very difficult to get full-fledged numbers on this. So the SHED survey looks at occasional work and supplementary work, but other surveys look at what somebody does full-time. And when we look at what somebody does full-time, a lot of times the gig work gets forgotten. Um, it's interesting to note that even the platforms actually have no idea how many workers they have. So Uber <laughs> very famously uh, did a survey at one point where they classified an active driver as anyone who had given a ride in the last six months. I don't know about you, but if I stop going to work for a month, I'm no longer considered to be an active worker. But Uber, because of the sort of contingent and flexible component, was using this very broad definition of active drivers. Is that an unintended consequence of ghosting? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yes. The economy may be ghosting meets the work world. <laughs> More with sociologist and author Alexandria Ravenel. Straight ahead. <laughs> Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately and with a regimen of regular 
doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman's sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with sociologist and author Alexandria Ravenel, straight ahead. But this, this, uh, this idea of consumption, though, is, is one that's interesting to me because it seems like people that are working in the gig economy, especially the ones that, that have really embraced it and are doing two or three different kinds of things, managing their time, um, I would, uh, well, I was going to say uh, managing their time well, but I'm thinking productively is the better way to put it. Um, and they're they're working all the time. Maybe they have a little less time, so they live in a smaller place. They don't buy a car. They don't buy a house. They live in a studio apartment. Um, 
is that a, a reasonable profile of somebody who who is fully immersed in the gig economy or is everybody doing it? Um, so, yeah, in terms of individuals who are very much uh, making a living through the gig economy, because they're typically not making a whole lot of money, um, they fall under the struggler category, for instance. Yes, living in a studio, not having a car, kind of going from one gig to another, trying to make a go of it. Um, one of the dangers, and in fact, I'm actually doing follow-up research right now on gig workers, is that they get sort of addicted to this kind of oh, you know, I had no work, but now I've hustled and I've got work for today and I just got paid as soon as I did the work. And so it becomes uh, like a lifestyle that maybe they thought was going to be temporary, but then it becomes a much larger component. There are, however, success stories in the gig economy. And these are the individuals that are able to, because of high levels of skill and financial capital, are actually able to make a really good living off of gig work. Um, but... The disclaimer here is that these are the individuals who would probably be equally successful in the mainstream economy, and they have a lot of money for startup costs. So here in New York, for instance, um, it, air, most Airbnb uh, listings are actually illegal under our um, multiple dwellings law, but there are individuals who have twenty to $30,000 can rent an apartment and essentially turn it into a de facto hotel room. And then they're able to make fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year by running multiple Airbnb hotel rooms uh, throughout New York City. Right, right, and and I've been hearing more and more about those lately. Which is is the um, more important ingredient, the hustle or the gig? Oh. <laughs> Um, I would, you know, no one has asked me that before. Um, I would probably say it's actually pretty evenly split between two. Um, we like to think that if you just hustle at this, you'll be able to succeed, but a lot of it has to do with what types of gig you end up getting involved with and what happens. Um, you know, kitchen surfing is a perfect example of what happens if you choose a platform and you don't choose wisely. Uh, kitchen surfing was an on-demand chef platform where chefs could uh, contract directly with clients to do a meal for anywhere from 10 to 100 people, or they could be a part of sort of the price-fix meal. So a chef would show up at your home and cook one of three meals for you, and they'd be paid by the hour by the service. But then it closed its doors rather suddenly. And that meant that a number of chefs who thought that they were building a business on a platform actually found themselves holding a whole bunch of catering supplies and with nothing. They had lost their back office. They had lost the marketing that they had promised. They had lost all their reviews, the reputation they had built up on that platform. And that actually makes it very difficult for them to go and sort of continue to be successful micro-entrepreneurs. So all the hustle in the world doesn't work if the platform that you are working on that's providing your gigs suddenly closes or deactivates you. Is it important for people going into this or considering this to weigh and balance this this notion of hustle versus gig? Um, because 
there are some people who are tremendous workers and, and very willing to work but don't have a lot of hustle. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of hustle and aren't willing to do any work. Um, that that you really have to embrace both to be successful or, or to even get by? Yes, you absolutely have to embrace both because a lot of times workers will believe this entrepreneurial ethos that they can have their own successful small business through this and they don't understand all the components that go into it. You know, a lot of times, even if someone has a very basic very basic game. Oh, run an errand for me. There has to be a lot of back and forth with the client. Well, where do you want me to pick the item up from? How heavy is the item? Do I need a car? Can I do it on a bike? How long do you think this is going to take? What's the address of where something is going? And so there's a lot more work involved, even with very simple activities than people might expect. And the work a lot of times involves hustling to get it. You have to create a profile. You have to usually be on multiple sites in order to have more dependable income. Um, That might mean sort of juggling things back and forth. So even though we market this or this platforms, excuse me, market this as entrepreneurship and flexibility, the reality for most workers is actually going to be very different. Is there... I was going to say, is there light at the end of the tunnel? But I, I, I suppose I should probably uh, edit that to, to say, uh, is there steady work at the end of the tunnel? Is this is this trend going to stay, or and and we need to adjust to it, or do you think that some of the uh, uh, downfalls and and pitfalls in the gig economy? will cause people to demand something different? So gig work has an incredibly high turnover rate, which suggests that once workers get into it, for most of them, it's something that they're doing temporarily, and then they escape. Uh, Uber very famously has about a 97 98% turnover rate within a year. Uh, Any other company, that would be appalling and astounding, but in ride-sharing, that's sort of accepted. Um, One thing that we are seeing is more attention being paid to the situation of gig workers and on the lack of benefits that they receive. And so uh, Congress this year supposedly is going to uh, be revisiting the issue of possibility of portable benefits that gig workers could take from one platform to another. Um, There's actually recently been some attention to um, benefits for domestic workers where their clients could make a voluntary contribution that would allow those workers to contribute to a retirement account or to purchase sick time, sick leave time. Um, So we are seeing more attention being paid to the idea that this is probably going to be a economic movement that sticks around and that there needs to be more attention paid to protecting workers and ensuring that they do actually have access to some form of benefits. In terms of workers being able to make it a stable source of income, it really depends on what platform they are on, how the platform uh, treats them, how the algorithms are working. So much of it is kind of out of the hands of an individual worker. 
Well, I'll tell you, this is a fascinating subject. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. My guest is Alexandria Ravenel. She is uh, assistant professor of sociology at Mercy College and author of a new book, Hustle and Gig, Struggling and Surviving in the Sharing Economy. Um, Alexandria, it's been a real delight. It's been an honor and a privilege to uh, meet you and speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 